Now turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look tonight probably at verses 22 through uh, 36. Last week we saw where Peter explained somewhat to the people what they had just witnessed and heard. Some said this is the wonderful works of God and others said these people are just drunk with wine. They didn't understand what just happened. They had never seen anything like this before. But Christ had sent back his spirit, God, the, the spirit of promise, to indwell his church. And he set up his kingdom upon earth. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's his house. It's his bride. And now he's going to pick up where he finished last week. There in verse 21, he said, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now you just think for a minute. It's only been 50 days. Remember I mentioned last week that's what Pentecost means, 50. And it was the feast that was celebrated 50 days from the feast of Passover. So 50 days from the time that our Lord laid down his life as the Lamb of God. till only been 50 days. Less than two months' time has passed. So this is fresh on people's minds. Most of these people in this company that he's preaching to probably were there probably witnessed, could have been in the mob that cried, crucify him, crucify him. And most of them thought, well, we're done with him. We'll never see him again. We won't have to do anything more with that man they call Jesus. And Peter is explaining to them why this has come to pass, because of what Christ has accomplished. If Christ had not accomplished what he came to accomplish, none of this would have ever happened. It happened on purpose, and it happened on time. He said, you men of Israel, hear these words. Hear these things. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Here Peter's message, he speaks very plain. He doesn't use any great elaborate illustrations. He just preaches the gospel. He's going to tell these people what they did why they did it, and where he's at now. You remember that. That's how we preach the gospel. We tell this world who Jesus Christ is, what he did, why he did it, what he accomplished, and we preach to men and tell them what he's doing right now. What's he doing? He's saving his people through his church that he's ordained and sent into all the world. He's showing them. And notice how... He refers to him. He's saying, you men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. They knew who that was. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, the name Jesus. 
that was given to him by the angels before he was born, Jesus, his name, he shall save his people from their sins. He said, Joseph, this is what you name him. And he's Jesus of what? Not that they was maybe other Jesus. This, this, no, this was a, a derogatory term. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You remember that he's saying, you know that Jesus of Nazareth? Oh, they knew which one he's talking about. There's no question about it. He was very clear, but he addressed them where they were at. He spoke in a language that they could understand, whatever that language was that he spoke in, and he let them know, you remember that Jesus of Nazareth? Who was this Jesus of Nazareth? He rules and reigns over all men. He is the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. He came to save his people and put away their sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. You know, when we go back, you know, even the disciples just never really, before he died, never really just grasped the fact that he must suffer and that he must die. It says, Jesus of Nazareth, so they know which one he is, he was a man. He was a man. He was a real man. This is hard for us to grasp, but old writers used to say he was 100% God, and he was. He never ceased to be God, never. And he was 100% man. He was born of Mary. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born like any other child. He was raised. He was raised in Nazareth, that old place. That's where he. That's where he was raised. That's where he lived. He identified even where he lived with sinners, with the with the despised of this world. A man approved of God among you. How did they know he was God? How did he prove to them that he was God? Now, he told them they didn't believe it. Even when he's on the cross, they said, you saved others yourself, you cannot save. If you be the son of God, come down from there and we'll believe you. Why did he do miracles? To prove to men that he is who he said he was. He healed the sick. He went out on the bow of a ship and said, peace be still. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. He gave legs to those who couldn't walk. And he raised people from the dead. When he raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, in chapter 2, they not only wanted to kill our Lord, they wanted to kill Lazarus. There's no question. There's no question that this man has been dead for four days. I guarantee you it made headline news. If they had a newspaper in Jerusalem, man dead four days is risen from the dead. No question about it. You know how people talk. He said he was a man of approved of God among you, my wonders and miracles and by signs. No man ever spoke like this man. He fed the multitudes. Can you imagine those people there that day? How are we going to eat anything? Well, they said a boy had what? Five loaves and two little fishes. There's no way you can feed 5,000 men besides the women and children. But he did. You could not, all they saw physically was a, was a natural man. 
whatever he looked like. He had no beauty that we should desire him, but he was God. But they could see the miracles. They could see the wonders. They could see. Remember what Nicodemus said when he came to our Lord by night? He said, no man can do these miracles that thou doest. You do do the miracles except God be with him. That's the only way. We know that God's with you. We may not believe it, but we know in our head and word got around. First miracle he did was he turned water into wine at a marriage feast. Did you see what he did? He turned water into wine. He sure did. And the reason he did those, if he did by him, in the midst of you, he didn't do them in some corner. And I know, and I don't understand this. A lot of times he did a miracle and he'd tell the people he did the miracle for, don't tell anybody. I think maybe one reason he did that is because he knew some men would just follow him just for the miracles, just for the wonders, just, you know, that's how flesh is. But he said he did it among you. As ye yourself also know. He said, you know these things. He's dealing with them about things they know about. They know they knew who Jesus Christ was. They knew. There's no denying the miracles and the wonders and the signs which he did. No doubting it. Others knew. It says in Matthew 9, 6, but that you may know. Now listen, he, he's standing. I think there was a whole crowd here. I remember, I got, forgot to look it up, but I think this is when they let the, the four men, you remember when they let their friend down from the roof? I'd say when they started taking the tile off that roof, they, he got their attention. And everybody got real quiet, and they start letting this man down from the ceiling. And there's scribes and Pharisees and everybody there. And he said that you may know, I'm going to do something that you can know, that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sin. Now, if he said, I forgive you sin, you can't see that. You can't see him forgive his sin. So how would you know he did forgive him of his sin? He said, so that he, you can know that he forgives sin. He said to the sick of the palsy, rise, take up thy bed, and go to thy house. Now, they can see that. But I did this so you'll know. Know what? I am who I say I am. He is the Son of God. And that work is finished. His work upon the earth of him as a man doing miracles and signs of wonders was now over. He's gone back to glory and sent back his spirit and his apostles now will do miracles and wonders. Why? To prove that they are who they say they are. God enabled them. But you know the greatest miracle he did? was not when he raised Lazarus from the dead, not when he fed the 5,000, is when he raised himself from the dead. And they said, remember the Pharisees, they said, we can't let this get out. If word gets out and people hear this, the life state's going to be worse than the beginning. You, we're going to go give those people money, those men who were guarding the tomb. We're going to tell them that the disciples came and stole away his body. We can't even begin to wonder, what if he did rise from the dead? He told us he would. He said, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'll build it again. He's not talking about a literal temple. He's talking about a temple of his body. 
Verse 23, and him being delivered. Isn't it amazing? Peter don't beat around the bush. He gets right to the point. He's not afraid to talk about God's foreordination. He's not afraid to talk about God's predestination. He's not afraid to tell these people that what just happened happened on purpose. I could hear some people say, well, look what the devil did. He says, I want you to know what God did and why he did it. Him, Christ being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreordination of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. The one who delivered him unto death was God the Father, also delivered him from the dead. That one that they crucified, he did not stay dead. He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And it says there that he was loosed, he loosed the pains of death, verse 24, because it was not possible that he should be holden unto it. But he was delivered on purpose. God ordained it. He died on the eve of the Passover. When the fullness of time was come, he came. He said many times they came to take him, would have killed him. But he said, mine hour's not yet come. But now his hour had come. He goes to the garden and he says, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And he goes to them and he, and he allows them to take him to be crucified. Why? The Father ordained it. And you know what he did? He bowed to it. He bowed to it. Those people, Pilate and all those people, they were just pawns raised up by God to serve a purpose. Pilate even said, I find no fault with him. Well, why not turn him loose? He couldn't. He wouldn't and he couldn't because he didn't want to. His wife came in and said, don't you have anything to do with that just man? I've suffered a lot in dreams because of this man. Don't have anything to do with him. There's something different about this man. Oh, yes, there was. But why is he doing this? Why is he standing? Why, they, why is God allowing this to happen? To save your soul. He's the lamb crucified from the foundation of the world. It's no accident. And, you know, pious religious people say, well, if I was in the crowd that day, I wouldn't have said crucified. Oh, yeah, you would. Every one of us would. Because I want to show you, men want to talk about and brag about the free will. Oh, the free will, free will, free will. You know, you accept Jesus according to your free will. If God ever leaves you alone, you will never come to him. You will never bow to him. And you will always resist him. And if you could get your hands on him, you'd jerk him off the throne. Because he said, God determined what just happened. Can you imagine what these people just heard? They served some little peanut god that they thought was God. He ain't no god. But he said, God determined this. This is God's work. But God uses men. And everybody there was responsible for what they did. He said, God determined it. God decreed it. But you took it. You did exactly what you wanted to do. That's what he tells them. 
You imagine when you hear this. He said, you took him by wicked hands. You imagine. Barnard used to say, he said, these people basically, he said they were standing there basically with the blood of Christ still dripping off of their hands where they had him crucified. And he said, you did it, God ordained it, but you did it because God ordained you to do it, and you did exactly what you wanted to do. You took him out and you crucified him. Pilate says, which one do you want? You want Barabbas? Or do you want this Jesus? Which one do you want? Oh, we don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas. We want a murderer. And you know what it says? Let me see if I can find it. I can't find it right off. But it says that Pilate delivered our Lord to their will. Okay, where's your will at? I don't see anybody bowing down. I don't see anybody saying, Can, well, they're not, is there not any mercy for this man? Do we have to do this? Nobody said that. They all were in one accord. They all were gathered together against God's son. You took him. You took him. And by wicked hands have crucified him and slain him. Verse 24, God ordained it, God decreed it, you did what you wanted to do, but that ain't the end of it. That's what they thought, as I've already mentioned, that's what they thought, we're done with, we want to be done with him, we don't, we want, we don't want to be like Pilate's wife. We don't want to be disturbed in our dreams because of him. We don't want to hear his name anymore. It makes us uncomfortable. Because men love darkness rather than light. We don't, we don't want him. And they think he's gone. And now you imagine hearing the news for the first time. He didn't stay dead. You may have heard it as a rumor. It's not a rumor. I tell you this tonight, it's not a rumor. He's risen from the dead. He boldly preached to these people, proclaimed, and people won't even talk about the election of God. They won't talk about God ordaining something to happen. Everything that happens, everything happens because God decreed it. But men are responsible. When men stand before God one day, they can't say, I'm, I'm not, not going to be allowed to enter into his presence because he didn't choose me. No, if they go to hell, it's their own fault. They did what they wanted to do, what they willed to do. And God hath raised, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding to it. That word pains is the word, same word where we get travails. Now we know there's, to me, I don't think, I've never went through it, that there's no travail like the travail of a woman having children. Just ironic, Sandy's niece yesterday had a set of twins. Each one weighed over six pounds. That's a pretty good set of twins. But you know, she couldn't have them naturally. They had to take the children. They because they was afraid of complications. But what if they didn't have something? And it was in old times. You imagine going through the travail of trying to have two children at once. He said he was loosed from the pains of death. He said he was the travail of his soul. 
We can't begin to imagine the pain, not physical pain, the mental pain. Nobody likes for, for people to hate them. Nobody likes for people to despise them. Not a one of us would like for anybody to spit in our face, but that's not the pain. The pain of feeling guilt. The pain of being rejected and departed or the father leaving you alone. Pain. He was loosed from the pains of death. He endured the travail of his soul. He conquered death. He's saying it couldn't hold him. He had had to turn him loose. It said uh, he was loose, verse 24, from the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Why couldn't it hold him? He's perfect. That's why. Psalm 71, 6. You imagine our Lord making this statement. By thee have I been holding up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's womb. Who hath holding him up? He walked by faith in the Father. And I know he was still God, but you imagine. It said in the garden that angels came and ministered unto him. And he said, the Father hath holding him up. The, re- the resurrection of Christ was God's public declaration that justice had been satisfied for the sins of his people. Because if God had not been satisfied with his offering, he would have never raised him from the dead. He became guilty, he became sin for us, and you know sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But he was perfect and he satisfied God's law. And death couldn't hold him. Mr. Gill said, Christ was imprisoned for our debt, was thrown into the bands of death, But divine grace being satisfied, it was not possible that he should be detained by it. He could not be detained by the right or by the force, for he had life in himself, and in his own power he conquered the prince of death. Mine own arm hath brought salvation. He defeated him who had the power of death. The soul that sinneth it shall die. Adam, in the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And death had dominion over all men, except one. And that is our hope. That is our only hope. Now verse 25 And he speaks of someone else they know about. He made reference last week to Joel chapter 2. He said, David speaketh concerning him. So you mean David spoke of Christ? Well, that's what he's saying. And here's what David said. I foresaw the Lord always before my face because he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad 
Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the way of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And what he is quoting is, and I'll read it to you, you don't have to turn, is Psalms chapter 16, verse 8 through 11. Wondered how Peter knew this. Wonder how many times our Lord sat with his disciples. He's not always out doing miracles. There's times he gets alone. He said, Blessed are your eyes. He said, When they got them away privately, he said, Blessed are your eyes for the things you see and the things you hear. Many prophets and kings have desired, but we're going to see David is mentioned as a prophet. David speaking as a prophet, he said in Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave thy soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the paths of life. And in thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand, they are pleasures forevermore. I wonder how many people standing in that audience knew that scripture but had no clue what it meant. He just said, this is what this means. David, by speaking here in prophecy, speaks of Christ's death, his death, his resurrection, and him being exalted at the right hand of the Father. He said, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. And our Lord said in John 17, verse 4 and 5, I have glorified thee on the earth. And he did. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, which the, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And he said, he is at his own right hand that he shall not be moved. The Lord sustained him in his work. In Isaiah 50, verse 5, The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious. Now listen. Neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheek to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore will I not be confounded. I will not be moved. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. What did he say there? He says, my flesh shall rest in hope. Last part of verse 27, that I should not be moved. I can see Satan whispering in his ear, saying, oh, you don't have to do this. Well, you know, he even rebuked Peter one day. And he, well, he turned around and rebuked Satan which was speaking through Peter, and he said, you don't have to suffer and die. Oh, yes, he does. We can't even begin to imagine. Now, you know what's going to happen. You know what's decreed to happen, and you've got to go that way. There's no other way to save us but that way. There's no way around the cross. There's no way. That's the only way. And he said, I was not moved. 
None of these things move me. Paul said, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. And our Lord didn't. They're going to crucify me. He told them. They're going to deliver me into the hands of the Gentiles. and They're going to crucify me and slay me. But I'm going to raise again the third day. You imagine knowing what he's going to do. He's going to tread the wine press alone. Everybody's going to forsake him, but he's not going to be moved. Nothing's going to stop him. All hell can't stop him. You notice there he says, my heart was glad. It was a constant pleasure to our Lord Jesus to look to the end of his work and to be sure that the issue would be glorious, the glorious outcome of what he did. So well pleased is he with he, with his undertaking, that it does his heart good to think about what's going to be the outcome. He saw the travail of his soul, and he was satisfied. You know the joy, you ladies that have had children. Travail is horrible, but then the joy of seeing the outcome of the travail. He saw the travail of his soul, and he was satisfied. He wasn't sad and say, well, there was some I, I tried to save and I couldn't save. Oh, no. My heart rejoices. In Luke 10, 21, it said, then that hour, as we read there in Luke 10, a little bit ago, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. And he said, I thank thee, O Father. He praised him. Oh, heaven of earth, you, he thanked him for what? You've hid these things from the wise and prudent, but you've revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, it seems good in your sight to do so. And I'm tickled to death about it. <laughs> His heart rejoiced. This is what it says in Hebrews 12, verse 2. Now listen. Looking unto Jesus, the author the originator and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I can tell you, if we could ever just get a glimpse of that and just a hold of that just a little bit, the joy that was set before him, oh, yeah. Yeah, there was death. Yeah, he did. But he said, I'll do it. I'll willingly do it. I'm going to do this on purpose. No man takes my life from me. I have power to take it down. I have power to take it again. I'm going to save Danny Bogus. That's part of the travail of my soul. When I, he sees the joy. He sees it. He sees the day that he'll be born. As a little boy, and then he sees the day that he will be born again. And he will see the end of that day when he's in glory. What joy. Read Luke 15 again. He talked about, you remember when the sheep? He went and found that one sheep, and he came home what? Came home. He didn't come home crying and sad. He came home rejoicing. The woman who found the piece of a coin, piece of coin, she called her friend. She said, would you rejoice with me? And then the father rejoiced when the son came home. 
There's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Why does it bring him such joy? Because he loves the Father. He, He delights to do his will. Talking to Sandy the other day, we were just talking. And I said, and kind of tried to describe a point I was trying to make. I don't remember exactly how it was, but I said, just be like my daddy. If he told me to go do something, I was going to go do it. If he told me to go tell somebody to do something, I'm just going to go tell them exactly what my daddy told me to tell them. Because why? He's my daddy. And my daddy loves me, and I love him, and I'm going to do what he's told me to do. And that's what the, that's what the son did. He came to please the Father, and he always did. And I'm going to please him. You know what's going to please him? The only thing that's going to please him is the shed blood of his son and the joy that was set before him. He en- Listen, he endured the cross. What if he said, I've had enough? Sure, it's just not worth it. I'm going to call 12 legions of angels and just wipe the whole mess out. But he did. Said verse 27, because therefore my heart rejoices, my tongue shall be glad. The abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope. When he satisfied the law, you know what he did? He he rested on what day? What day did he rest? The Sabbath day. What's he doing? He's resting. Why is he resting? The work's done. Why did God rest on the seventh day? It's not that he was tired. The work was done. It's all finished. And on the seventh, the Sabbath day, after the Passover, when our Lord was in the grave, he rested. Shall rest, not just rest, but he rest in hope. The disciples were terrified. They didn't have a hope because they didn't believe what he told them. But can you imagine the hope, Cheryl, of seeing him with literal eyes? My flesh shall rest in hope because thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He won't leave his soul in the grave. He didn't. And he didn't see corruption. Death is not a pretty sight. Just in a few seconds after the breath leaves your body, it's not pretty. And I know probably most of you have seen it, witnessed it. Why is it it's death? Death begins to take over from the inside out. But our Lord died and no corruption touched his body. Nothing. You remember what they said about Lazarus? He's dead four days. So he begins to stink. You know why he begins to stink? It's corruption. It ain't just what's from without that corrupts. We corrupt, we corrupt our, from the inside out. But not him. He was perfect, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. <laughs> As most deaths would be a, if we didn't have embalming fluids and things like that, that we do have, it'd be a horrible, horrible smell. 
But when Christ died, it was a sweet-smelling sm- savor. And the father said, I'm well pleased. And he saw no corruption. He ordained that not a bone of his body be broken. And there was not one. When he died, he died at the perfect age of a man of 33 years old. But he looked probably 50 because it wore his body. But he saw no corruption. He won't leave his soul in the grave. Neither will God wouldn't suffer him, his holy one. That's it. That's why he won't see corruption. He's the holy one. He's the only one that is holy. Thou hast made me to know the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. I thought about when he was when he was baptized, he said, Our God said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Apart from God's grace, God's countenance is terrifying. He's a joy with our countenance. Therefore, verse 30, being a prophet. I'm sorry, back to verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you. Now, he's speaking to them in grace and mercy. Let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David. And he's already made mention of David, what he said in Psalm 16. I mean, Psalm 16. That the patriarch David, most of all, you don't think of David being a patriarch. The patriarchs was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those men. But he's the head of the kingly line, David is. He's the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us until this day. They could probably take you and show you David's tomb where he was buried, because he was buried in Jerusalem with the rest of the kings. He's dead. He's buried, and his sepulchre's with us to this day. And there's no question David's dead. Therefore, he was not only a patriarch, he's a prophet. And knowing, how did David know this? That God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, and he knew it. And he prophesied of it. That what? From David's loins, the Son of God will be born. David had a lot of sons. He had Absalom. He said had a lot of them, rebellious. And the son that he had, that was of Bathsheba, whom he committed adultery with, was the son that God chose to sit upon the throne of David. And that through that line, the Lord Jesus Christ would come into this world. I heard Fortner say one time, now they questioned our Lord about a lot of things, but they never questioned his genealogy. This man literally had the right to sit upon the throne of David. You know what? He's God's king. David was God's choice, a man after God's own heart. David said, I want to build your heart, I mean a house. God said, I'll build me a house, and that's his house. 
His house would come to nothing. It was a, a root out of dry ground. Here's a, a poor woman and a poor man, and they live in a place called Nazareth, and God's going to use that woman, the seed of that woman, to bring the Son of God into this world, and David knew it. He knew it. He saw it by faith. He said, you're literally seeing it. They wanted to come and take him by force to be king. Oh, no. He's king by right. He's king by power. But he's telling them, David knew this. He said, don't you know? They said, well, we know who David is. Oh, King David. Everybody talks about King David. Boy, he's a mighty king. David has slain his, Saul has slain his thousand and David his ten thousands. He killed Goliath. Oh, he was, he was a mighty king. He conquered all Jerusalem. He conquered it, built a kingdom. And of his kingdom, there will not be any end. And you know what he's saying? What he's basically saying to these people, that Jesus of Nazareth that you crucified, the king you were waiting on, you wanted some earthly king, that wasn't him. It was him. And David told you. And I'm just telling you, I'm telling you from David's writing that David knew that he was king. And basically he's saying, do you know it? Do you know it? He swore with an oath. God swore. According to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit upon his throne. He seeing this before, David seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his death did see corruption. This Jesus, this Jesus, hath God raised up, wherewith we all are witnesses. We're all going to say the same thing. We're not lying, we're not telling an untruth. We are eyewitnesses that he's alive. We are eyewitnesses that he's king. What did Pilate say? And he didn't even know what he was doing when he wrote it. When he wrote, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And he is, and he was. Why was he dying? He's the king of his people. That's why. <laughs> he spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. Now see, he doesn't just, he, he preached to them the resurrection, but that's not the end of it. He's going to preach to them that that Jesus who walked upon this earth in humiliation now sits upon the throne. And what are you going to do about it? He's not trying to be Lord, he's Lord. Being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed abroad this which you now see in here. This is why all this has happened. If he was not exalted, there would not be no Holy Spirit upon the earth. Now watch this. He said, they thought that they, you know David was just talking about David. He said, David's not ascended, ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. David's son was also David's Lord. 
The Lord said unto my Lord, you sit at my right hand till what? I make all your enemies put them under your footstool. Now what? Now therefore. After everything we've seen, everything that's gone before, therefore. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly. He said, after everything I've just told you and pointed out to you, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. Don't you see this? You ought to underline it. God hath made that same Jesus. God hath made that what? The same Jesus that you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The next time you hear somebody say, would you not make Jesus Lord of your life? Would you not make, would you not make him do this? Would you not make him do that? What did that verse just say? It says right there, God beat every one of us to it. God hath made. Who made him? God made him. Both Lord and Christ. He's both Lord and Messiah. He's king. And then next week we'll pick up our in verse 37. And you imagine these people hearing this. Well, what are we going to do now? He's not some little peanut God. He's not, he's not a failure. He's sitting on his throne. And that's how they preached him. And that's how we preach him. We don't preach a dead Jesus. We don't preach somebody that's trying to do something because you won't let him. God made him. God made, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God made him Lord. And you think about this. When Adam sinned, he was the representative of all men. We lost it. We lost, Adam had dominion over everything except one thing, that tree. God's sovereign. And the Son of God came, lived a perfect life, Gave his life a ransom for many. And God raised him from the dead. And God called him back to glory. He said, son, sit down at the right hand of the Father. And he's sitting there making intercession for us till I make all your enemies your first. God made him Lord. He's Lord of the dead and the living. He's Lord of the elect and the non-elect. He's the Lord over all things. Now, this is what people don't like. This is what makes them mad. And Peter preached this to these people. You think you're God. You thought you could stop him from doing what he came to do, and you just fulfilled it. And God hath made him. Next time somebody says this, I want to show you something. It said right there that God made him. What did he make him? Lord. What does that mean? He's boss. He don't ask for permission. You know, we don't know anything much about kings or stuff, but I'd say if you wanted to go overseas over to London and you just decided you'd want to walk in there and sing King Charles now, they'd laugh at you. <laughs> you ain't coming in here. You know why? You don't have any right in here. Now, if he called you, you have every right to come. Danny, I'm glad he's calling us. And he opened up the veil. And he said, come boldly into the throne of grace. The what? It's not a throne of judgment. 
it's a throne of grace. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He, he rules with a scepter of love and mercy and grace. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And you imagine, these people just found out something. They found out that that Jesus, that old bloody, gory sacrifice, God made that Jesus, made him Lord. Made him Lord. And he's still Lord. And I'm glad he is. You know, and that's what we heard. We heard when God sent the gospel to us, we heard that he, he's Lord. Now, I believed in a Jesus for a long time, but he wasn't Lord. He was Lord when I could make him Lord. When I decided, when I decided to make him Lord, he's not up for some vote. He's not out trying to get people to feel sorry for him and vote for him. God raised him from the dead. said, this is my son. And God said, I give all judgment into his hands. And here's what men despise. He can show you mercy or he can leave you alone. You know when he said, my heart rejoiced, he said that, that you've hid these things from the wise and the prudent. He's hit them, and he's revealed it unto babes. These people that were there that day, wicked, vile creatures, have just heard some of the best or the best news they could have ever heard. Yeah, you crucified him, and we ought to everyone die for it. And he would show us mercy. I pray that's a help. Let's pray.